0: Starting a new teaching series on the Jesus view, and as I was thinking about this, I remembered a few years ago on Easter Sunday, uh, I was preaching from this very pulpit, a sermon on the resurrection, and went into a lot of detail from the Old Testament and the New Testament about the resurrection, the future, and there was a a young man who was a guest of another member, and uh, not a believer, and I can still see him, he was seated near the front here. Later that afternoon, he was talking with the person who had invited him, and they began talking about the sermon. And uh, what he he said was, referring to me, if he believes everything he said, he's crazy. (laughs) You and I live in a world today that is um, very divided, right? A lot of polarization. And the truth is, that's always been the case, maybe for some of us it's... It seems to be more extreme than than it used to be. But it doesn't matter what the issue is, whether it's a moral issue, a, a, a relational issue, a, an economic issue, a political issue. The polarization is, is so, so intense. And there's a lot of debate about the role of faith in public life. And not just in public life, but in our own lives, how we are to express it and live it in the public arena, and that if we really believe what we say we believe and we live it out, then in the minds of some, that disqualifies us from from being part of certain certain aspects of, of public life. And so there's a lot of controversy out there. There's a lot of debate about what is truth. and it. And it seems to be that increasingly in our culture, truth is determined on the basis of consensus. Who can move the majority of people to a certain position on some issue? And if consensus can develop around that position, then that's what people tend to accept as truth because less and less, fewer and fewer people accept the idea that there is authoritative truth, that there is absolute truth. And then you have Jesus who says something like this, our memory verse for this month, John 14:6. Jesus said to him, talking to a man, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. and No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, that statement of Jesus is so out of step with much of our contemporary culture. Would you agree with that? Because while most people will have a, a sense of respect for Jesus as they imagine him to be, to hear what he actually says is a different thing. And that statement is, is is bold and it's clear and it's concise. Jesus says, you want to know the way? It's me. You want to know the truth? It's me. You want to have life? It's me. Man, that would not be a popular statement for any public figure to stand and make Today. And so I want us to memorize that verse. That's our memory verse for this month. Remember, we're looking at a different verse each month that speaks about Jesus. So are you ready to quote that one? Many of you already know, but so are you ready? It's there. It's easy. You ready? Jesus said. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, John 14, and we're going to look at the context for Jesus saying that. And as you look at his name up here, you remember last Sunday when we had that special service of the Lord's Supper. We did it in a different way. Hundreds of you came and you just wrote Jesus on this banner because our focus this year and our focus in this sermon series is Jesus and understanding him, how he sees things. And so next week we're going to talk about how does Jesus see you? How does he see me? We're going to talk about how he sees the world. We're going to talk about how he wants us to interact with the people In this world, but today, how Jesus sees Himself, and how we are to understand the implication of who He is in our own lives. So, Jesus is with His disciples. They're in the uh, upper room, if you will. They they're observing the Jewish Passover. It's the last evening He would be with them before His before He was arrested and crucified the following day. And he's telling them that, that he's going to die and he's going to leave them, and they're upset. And so chapter 14 begins with Jesus saying to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in my Father's house. And he goes on to talk about how there, there's a place for all of us who love him and are his disciples who follow him in his house that he's prepared for us. And in verse 3, he continues by saying, I go and prepare a place for you, and uh, if I go... I'll come again and receive you to myself so you can be with me there. And he he tells them in verse 4, you know the way. You know where I'm going. You know the way there. But Thomas, that that hesitation, that doubt pops up in verse 5 when when he said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how do we know the way. And then Jesus just very clearly, very clearly, because he's going back to the Father, he's going to heaven, He's going to that place that that all of us who love him will be one day. He's preparing a place for us. and, And he's saying, if you want to be with me there, if you want to be with God, if you want to be in heaven, he said, there's one way. It's me. It's Jesus. If you want to know what the truth is, it's not just in a bunch of statements He said, the truth is embodied in me. I am the truth. If you want life, if you want everlasting life, if you want the life God created you to enjoy, that life is found only in me, in a relationship with me. I'm the one who created life. I'm the one who sustains life. I'm the one who gives life. It's in me. And he said, no one, not one single person, can have any of that without me because I'm the only way. Now, as I said a moment ago, that statement today is radical. But it was radical when Jesus made it. It's always been a radical statement. Jesus claiming such an audacious claim that he's the way, truth, life, and he's the only one. Well, he continues having conversation with his disciples in in, in the upper room. And um, at the end of that conversation in verse 15, he just very succinctly says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He draws a parallel between you truly loving him, truly being in a relationship with him, and you accepting the authority that is him and what he says. And he says, if you genuinely love me, you accept what I say. You obey what I say. You accept the authority of me and my words because what I speak flows out of me. Truth flows out of me. What I say is true because I'm true. And if you love me, you accept that and you obey that. Pretty Pretty explicit, pretty, you know, it's, it's very, very direct, isn't it? And again, out of step with the pressure that a lot of people feel in our culture today. Well, look at another passage later in John over chapter 18. Now, Jesus is arrested, and he's been tried by the Jewish court. Now he's before the Romans. He's, he's, he's in front of Pilate. And he and Pilate are having a conversation. And in verse 33, Pilate, after speaking with the crowd, walks back into the praetorium where Jesus is. And and, and he says to him at the end of verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did somebody else tell you about me? Verse 35, Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? He said, Your own nation, your own leaders are the ones who have brought you here, basically. What have you done? Then look at verse 36. Jesus says, Listen... The kingdom that I'm a king in, my kingdom, it's none of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. It's not a material kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It affects people in the world, but it's not a kingdom like the United States or China or Russia or Rome or Greece. It's a different kind of kingdom. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, then my followers would be defending me right now. But it's none of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's none of this realm. Verse 37, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. Yeah, I am. Jesus never denied who he was. He is a king. And by the way, kings have what? Authority. Right? In Matthew 28, at the the end of his time with the disciples before ascending back to the father Jesus speaking to his followers and giving us that that last charge that last commission that last instruction said you know when he when he talks about go everywhere and make disciples he started that that statement by saying all authority all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me it's mine he's a king with authority it's not a Earthly kingdom, but it's a kingdom, and he's a true king. And um, he says, that's why I came. That's why I lived a sinless life, why I died on the cross, and why he will be raised from the dead to make that kingdom available to all of us through a relationship with him. And he said, "I've, I've come into this world to testify to what? To what? To the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So do you get the picture? Jesus never backs down from saying that what he says is truth because he is truth and that it has authority because he is king. And that it's not a truth. It is the truth. It's very very clear about that. Now let me show you a couple of words that you hear a lot in our culture and a definition of them and talk about them for a moment. See the word relativism. This is the definition, that it's a doctrine, belief, that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context, and what? Non-absolute. So there's truth in this culture. There's truth in that culture. There's truth for this person. There's truth for that person. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But there's no absolute truth, and so ultimately there is no real truth. It's just whatever you want it to be. Now let's look at another word. Historically, the tolerance. Go to the next slide, guys. Historically, this is a good word, but this word today is used in multiple ways and not really understood. Tolerance is this ability to, to exist, to treat people with kindness, even when we disagree. However, in today's culture, that's not the definition of tolerance. Because in today's culture, if you disagree with someone, a growing percentage of the population think you are being judgmental. If I disagree with your position on any ethical issue, if I disagree with your position on a moral issue, if I disagree with you on some important subject matter, then increasingly, especially among the younger generations, that is viewed as being intolerant, And judgmental, I can't even disagree with you, at least in public, probably okay, but not in public because that's the lack of tolerance. Tolerance today does not mean we can allow ideas to compete freely in the marketplace. Tolerance today means I have to agree with you. I have to accept what you say is true as legitimate. And so, therefore, it's really not tolerance today, but it's the consensus forcing everyone to adopt the same ideology. Let's not have an open discussion. Let's just force compliance. And that's that's the opposite of tolerance. And if you have a belief that is different, particularly if it's a religiously based belief, then okay, but keep it to yourself. Don't say anything, and definitely don't live it because if you try to apply it in the public arena, you're disqualified from participation in certain aspects of the public arena. That's increasingly where our culture is. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, man, that puts us in an interesting place. Those of us who believe the historic Christian faith. Who who takes Scripture seriously? What do we do? How do we see things? When we look out at the world and think about all the issues, what's our perspective? What informs our thinking? What informs our decision-making? Now, in the 31 years I've been pastor here, all of you have only known me as a person who wears glasses, right? But I did not always wear glasses. I was an adult when I got my first pair of glasses. I was in seminary and uh, reading this book one semester that had very fine print, very small print, and I'd read for 10 or 15 minutes and have to lay down on the bed with a headache, and I thought, something's wrong. So I went and got an exam. He told me I was blind as a bat. And you have to remember, now, this is back in the early 80s. Things weren't as quick as they are today, so I had to wait a while to get my glasses. And, um, and Britt, they weren't as good as these, brother, okay? You did a good job. Um, and I remember going to his office. I crossed the Ohio River into southern Indiana, and, and, and I, I put the glasses on, and I walked out of his office, and I remember looking across the street, and there was a Coca-Cola sign. And I looked at that thing and I thought, wow, I didn't know red was supposed to be that bright. That Friday afternoon I got in my car on Interstate 64 driving from Louisville toward Lexington and I'd driven that that road many times. I knew it well. I knew where every sign on it was. I mean, I drove that road for four years. And I started thinking to myself, wow, I didn't know I was supposed to be able to read that road sign that far away. Getting these changed how I saw everything. And here's the thing. When you and I give our lives to Jesus Christ, if we are disciples of Jesus, when we are followers of Jesus, it changes how we see everything. You cannot love Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus. You cannot obey Jesus and see the world the same. Everything changes. And the truth is, culture at large quite often sees it differently. And so the question for you and me as followers of Christ, what is the source of how we see reality? Is it the consensus that our culture develops that changes from time to time? Or do we see it like Jesus? The Jesus view. Well, I'm going to show you a few more Bible verses, more than I normally do on Sundays, because I want you to understand what Jesus says about this and what the New Testament, what Scripture says about this subject. You still have your Bible uh, open. Look in chapter 8, chapter 8, and I've got all these verses on the screen. Uh, Now, next Sunday... All of you are going to have your Bibles, right? So I won't need to put the text on the screen, correct? Okay, all right. Just just checking. All right. Chapter eight, verses thirty-one and thirty-two. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, "If you continue in my what, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the what and the the what." Will make you free. Jesus said, If you're going to be my disciples, then you continue in, you are committed to, you obey what I say. In other words, you can't talk about how much you love Jesus and ignore what he says because the culture disagrees with what he said. Over in John chapter 17. Jesus was sometimes referred to as high priestly prayer where he's praying not only for the 12 disciples, for the disciples, but for all of us who would become believers afterward. And I love this chapter because I read this and I think about Jesus praying for you and for me. And notice that he, he's praying to the Father and in verse 14 he says, Father, I've given them your, your, your word. You see it again? And the world has hated them because they are none of the world, even as I am none of the world. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. While they're in here, just don't let Satan defeat them. Verse 16, they are none of the world, even as I am none of the world. Then verse 17, very important, sanctify them, set them apart. In what? What, church? The truth. And your what? Is What? Do you get it? See, if you want to be set apart to Christ, set apart in a way that honors Him, that is done through His Word because His Word is truth. Why is His Word truth? Because it emanates from Him. Okay? And as He said in John 14, 6, He said, He personally, I am the way. I am personally the truth. I am personally the life. That connection between Jesus and the Word of God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then dropping down later in that chapter, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. So you, you can't divide Jesus and the person from what he said and from truth. You can't divide him from the Word of God. Now, let's look at some other Bible verses and just make a couple of points real quick. Look on the screen. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Now, if he is truth and he does not change, guess what? then the truth doesn't change because He is the one from whom truth emanates. And so Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. And then Jesus Himself in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, talking about the future when He remakes everything new and and gets rid of the effects of sin. He said, my words will not pass away because sin has not corrupted what he said. Because he is truth. What he says is truth. It's never been corrupted. The world has been corrupted. Our human bodies have been corrupted, right? We need to be remade. The world needs to be remade. The universe needs to be remade because sin has affected all of that. But sin has not corrupted Christ or his word. So it never changes. In other words, truth is fixed, eternal, unchanging, it's not fluid, and that's countercultural, but it's what Jesus is, and what he said, and as his followers, as his disciples. And that shapes how we see things. Two more verses from the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Very clearly, he's, he's saying here, he said, I test, he said, I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, then the plagues that are mentioned in Revelation, we added to that person. So don't add anything to it. And then verse 19, if you take away, then God's going to take you away. Your, take take your part away from the tree of life and 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 uh, which and and the holy city, which is heaven. In other words, you have no part of Him. You have no part of heaven. First John chapter 2 verse 4. Look at these words. The Bible says, the one who says, I have come to know him. The person who says, I know Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. But doesn't like what he says. Doesn't keep his commandments. Doesn't accept his truth. is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Pretty strong words again. Right? Pretty strong words. And so, Jesus is telling us, Scripture is telling us, that truth is absolute. It's not relative. And that there is authoritative truth, which is to be obeyed. And again, knowing that as disciples, as followers of Christ, shapes how we see things. the, The choice is, are you going to have the view that Jesus has, or are you going to create your own? Are you going to accept the view of consensus, or are you going to have the view that Jesus has? Another verse, 2 Timothy. He said, the time will come when they will not Endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from what? Does that sound like? Huh? We don't like that. We'll find someone else who will tell us what we want, what we like. So it's not always popular, the truth. The truth is not always found in cultural consensus. So what are we supposed to do? Let me show you a couple things as I wrap this up. Turn turn to Matthew. And I know you'll see the words on the screen, but if you have your Bible, look at it and mark it in your Bible too. Just a few verses here in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, uh, in the D groups that I'm leading... Over the next year or so, we're going to memorize the entire Sermon on the Mount. Can't you imagine what that's going to do in our lives? Have God's Word just buried in us like that. Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 10 and following. Jesus said, blessed, blessed, happy. Boy, this is this is different. Are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness doing what is right for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you persecute you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me because of your relationship with christ rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great that's what they did you know to the prophets who were even before you so what he's saying is don't allow the negative don't allow the pressure don't allow the lack of popularity in certain areas the lack of consensus to change you, to pressure you into denying who you really are. And and we talked about that a lot in August. Who are we? We are in Christ. Christ is in us, right? We're followers of Christ. That's who we are. We own that and therefore we love Him. And if some don't get it, some don't like it, that hurts. But we don't conform to them. We don't change because of that. Then one last thing. And and we'll get into this a little bit more when we get into the sermon in in a few weeks on how Jesus wants us to interact with the world because I'll just tell you right now, it's not only staying true to the truth, but it's doing it with kindness and gentleness and patience, which, by the way, has been one of the failures of many, many in the church Especially in a public arena, not knowing how to be kind when standing for the truth. We'll talk about that another Sunday. Here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't put your lamp under a basket, but that where it shines light. Verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So don't, don't don't crumble, don't give in, don't, don't compromise, but let your light shine. And one of the ways you let your light shine is by being good and doing good. Let me close with this. Mother Teresa, throughout the world, respected for her ability to show love especially to the impoverished, right? Very highly esteemed in most sectors for the the sacrifices she made and and for all she did to to do good, to let light shine. But there were occasions when she also very clearly stood for truth. Back in uh, 1994 at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., She was, the, she was the guest speaker, and uh, Bill Clinton was president. And I still remember when Clinton won the presidency the day of the inauguration, following the swearing in, he went back to the White House, and the first thing he did as president was he signed some executive orders. Now, this is important to the story, okay? So his first, his first action as acting president was to sign some, ex- some executive orders, and one of those was to reverse a policy that had been in place under the Reagan and Bush administrations preceding him, and that executive order was to allow tax money that the federal government collected to pay for abortions. That was the first executive order Bill Clinton signed. And so Mother Teresa is speaking at the prayer breakfast, and 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 most of the powers that be in America were at the prayer breakfast. And here's this little lady; she's shorter than five feet, she's slim, and 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 and. Diminutive. She's you know she looks weak, but she's respected worldwide for all she's done in Calcutta and other places throughout the world. Nobody would nobody would say she didn't show love. And she stands there, that little lady. And this is part of what she said that morning. She said, I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? The only way is to say that's not a person. Now, the point is, that was an example of somebody embodying. I'm staying true to truth, even if it makes some people uncomfortable. But no one could question her letting her light shine and her loving the poor, could they? What does all this mean for us? We're followers of Christ. And the way we see life, the way we make our decisions, is not on the consensus of the culture, but it's on Him, our relationship with Him and what He says, His truth, what He says in His Word. And live it in kindness, live it in service, live it in love, but don't back down from it. Now, for some in this room, the issue is not, do you believe this? some, the issue is are we obeying what we say we believe. See, so it's one thing to stand up and say amen when you hear a preacher say something. It's something else on Tuesday morning at work to actually put it into practice. When you and your wife are having a tense conversation to remember what he says, We're making decisions about the priorities of your life. So I'm not interested in a whole bunch of amens. What I'm interested in is let's love him, let's follow him, but let's also obey him. And so when we sing this hymn of invitation, the altar is available for us to kneel and pray. And if need be, say, Father, uh, I've been disobeying you. And and I'm sorry. I repent. I repent. I make a commitment to obey you. Father, I've not been spending any time, very little time in your word even trying to understand what you say. And I'm sorry. I'm going to get into your word because I want to hear you. I want to know you. There are men and women in the room who need to make a public commitment of your life to Jesus Christ, saying you're not ashamed to be His, to come to me or one of the other pastors here at the front and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I I want to know this Jesus and live for Him. I want to be baptized and identify with Him publicly. I want to be part of this church family and stand for Jesus and serve Him in this community. So let's stand together. The team will lead us in singing. Brother Steve's here, I'm here. You come and make your decision for the Lord right now.